I was obsessed with the army and I wanted to be in the army and, uh, and you know, throughout primary school. But I look back on that now and I go, running around in the backyard, dressed up as someone in the army with all the props. I was acting that whole time. My name is Will Small. I use poetry to capture snapshots of what it means to be human. There's no better inspiration for this than real-life humans in their natural habitat. So I've been having conversations with all kinds of beautiful, passionate, interesting humans who all call the Central Coast home. From uni students to business owners, artists to activists, young and old. In each of these conversations, a poem is hiding. I'm going to find it and write it. And I'm inviting you to come along for the ride and hear the conversations that spark my creative process. Stick around till the end and you'll get to hear the poem. This podcast has been proudly supported by the Central Coast Council. Join me as I dive into the untold stories of coastal citizens and seek to capture them in an original piece of spoken word poetry. Lewis Jocker. Will Small. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. It's taken a long time to organise this one. It has taken a long time. But we're here in my studio with your whiskey. Oh, Describe the whiskey. Well, at the moment we're drinking a slow and low. Uh, you know, it combines a master blend of aged rye whiskies, three citrus peels, lemon, grapefruit, and orange. Grapefruit is not a. I is thought. Not, I thought there was more than one citrus peel. Did, in there. You, did you pick the grapefruit? <laughs> uh, and orange, of course. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Before being infused in a tiny amount of hundred percent raw local honey. Wow. And pure cane rock candy. Wow. I don't even know what cane rock candy is, but it creates a drink similar to an old-fashioned. Friends, if you are a whiskey drinker, mm. you will love this drink. If you are not a whiskey drinker, mm-hmm. you will love this drink. It's true. It is really delicious. We do a plug now for Dan Murphy's. <laughs> Head on down to Dan Murphy's. At Dollar Shave Club, you could. Lewis Jonker, I know you... Very well. I enjoy a good banter with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write a poem about you. That's going to be the outcome of this conversation, which feels weird because we've done a lot of poetry stuff together yeah. over the last few years. Yeah. You write a lot of poems about KFC. I write a lot of poems about deep, significant things in the world. Not <laughs> saying KFC is not, but I'm going to write a poem about the KFC poem guy. That's pretty exciting. I mean, you've, you've written poems imitating me. That's true. And those have been quite interesting. But it will be interesting to hear one about me. You are the, you're the best poet I know. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. That's sorry, very kind. Sorry, John McCarrow. We're, <laughs> we're here to interview you. You're the Thanks subject so. here, not me. Now, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, mm-hmm. can't be many people who don't know who Lewis Jonker is. And if they do, it's because they're confused because sometimes you're called Lewis Ramsey. That's true. And they're like, who's Lewis Jonker? Friends, Lewis Jonker is Lewis Ramsey. It's true. Now- that people have had time to recover from that revelation. Tell the backstory of Lewis Jonker. Where did he grow up? Where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> Fitting because I am. I did grow up in the country. Well, uh, my my parents met. I, I'm a kind of guy that I I'm having an identity crisis. My parents met in South Australia. That's where all my grandparents are. My right. parents met there. My dad was in the Navy for 20 years. Uh, as part of the Navy, they moved to Perth. 
and I was born in Coolangup Coolangup Hospital. Coolangup Hospital in Rockingham in Perth in Western Australia. Wow! So we start in South Australia. Yep. We go to Western Australia. Go to Western Australia, where I was born, and I lived there until I was five years old. I don't remember much of that, um, but I, then we moved to Billawila, Queensland. So my dad left the navy. He started working at a brewery. That's where my love of all things tasty comes from. Nice. Started working at a brewery. Uh, and then he moved to Queensland to work in the mining industry. And so I grew up in a small town called Billawila, which is the Aboriginal word for cockatoo. And uh, so there's white cockatoos everywhere. It's, it's quite an interesting place. And in Billawila, a town of 5,000 people, that is where I, I lived my life until I was 17 years old. And, wow. And it was quite interesting. I never really felt quite a place there. This is, this is a place where everyone wants to be a, a diesel mechanic or a farmer or in the mining industry and good on them. But I had a calling for the stage, I tell you. And, uh, yeah, so at 17, I moved to, to the Central Coast, New South Wales. And there's a bit of a backstory about how that came about because uh-huh. you, you didn't just one day go, I'm 17, I've got to move somewhere, put your finger on a map. That's true. Central Coast. That's true. What was the link how did you end up in this place out of all the other places in the world you could have gone to from Billawila? well there was actually a charity organization that came to my hometown when i was nine years old um musicians making a difference and they run phenomenal music camps i think running the music camps is the best thing they do they run these camps called 351 which is three days five elements five elements one One shot shot. one shot at life and and uh at the age of nine I realized I had one shot at this life and uh, I got addicted to these camps. I wrote a song that won a, a Australian songwriting competition. It was a hip-hop song. I listen to it now and I cringe heavily. Won, it won an Australian songwriting It did. I won $1,500. In the Arias? <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> the Australian Children's Music Foundation. The, which, next, the, the next, next most coveted award. It's <laughs> true. And uh, I won I won $750 for myself, which I bought a keyboard. So good. And $750 for the school, and they bought a drum kit. Oh, they would be loving that. They would be loving that. And, and I just got addicted. So I thought, oh, I can write rap songs now. Got addicted to rap. I kept going to their music camps. They stopped coming to my hometown. I had to start going to the next closest city, which was Rockhampton to to do the camps they stopped going there i had to start going to i had to fly into sydney to do their camps i was that addicted and in year 10 i actually did work experience um with the charity a small grassroots charity um and i moved i came to the central coast to do work experience i spent a week here had some profound moments and from that time i just knew when i graduated high school in year 12 i would move to the central coast and take a gap year and volunteer at the charity and see where life take me. And then you never went back. You just got stuck here. The gap year it's, became two gap years, three gap years. It's been an eight-year gap year, yeah. Not really a gap anymore, is it? No, I think it's here to stay. It's almost like you didn't have any gap years because you just came here and it became your home. True. Have you ever thought about it that way? Gap life. Gap life. Living that gap life. So thinking about the Central Coast now mm. compared to when you first moved here, how do you think about it these days? Does it feel like your home? That's that's a good question. I think I'm, you know, I've been on this journey. When I first moved here, I was pretty energized. I, I I'm a 
I like to think of myself as fairly energized about new things. And when I moved here, it was all new and it was exciting. And I got involved in the local community in a lot of different ways. And it was, it was just all, all in. And I really did love that season, but eventually over, I mean, over seven years, it can get old almost. Mm. I mean, when I first moved here, I was working as a cleaner every morning and it was the worst job in the world. But for some reason I was so energized through that. I loved it. Mm. And, um, but it, but it gets old and I'm not a beach person. I hate sand. I think, I don't know if you had this feel, you wear long pants at the beach. Mm. You accidentally get the bottom of them wet. Yeah. You walk through the sand. That is the worst feeling in the world when the sand gets on the bottom of your jeans. I hate the beach. Hate the beach. If I was prime minister, (laughs) I, the first thing I would say is I'd say, okay, concrete the edge. Wow. I would say concrete the edge, get rid of the sand. Maybe lay some AstroTurf. But I hate sand. I hate the beach. Some very fiery opinions coming out here. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm making a lot of enemies. But um, so, so you know, everyone's into the beach here. I don't even like the beach. I did find things like bushwalks and that sort of thing. And I'm, I continually find ways to fall in love with the Central Coast. Um, and in a lot of ways, I do feel like this is my home. I feel like I'll be here. I, I always had this grand vision that after five years I'd move to Sydney, but the longer I stay here, the more I think, actually, I sort of really do like being here. But just last week I went home to visit my family in Queensland and there was something about going back to my hometown and going back to the home I grew up in that was actually really quite special. And so I guess I'm questioning that myself. What, what is home? I guess mm. they say home is where the heart is, and and uh, I guess I've got my heart, a little piece of my heart, in a lot of different places. Wow, you're spreading the Lewis, the Lewis love yeah. across the world. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. If a bit of Lewis's heart is in Biloela, mm. a bit of Lewis's heart is in Sydney, and a bit of it's here on the coast, mm. what do those little bits of heart have in common? Wherever you find yourself. Regardless of the location, what can somebody expect finding Lewis in a place? Who is he? Whoa. Well, funny enough, I've always been this, uh, I've always liked creativity and I've always liked uh, speaking things and and using my creative talents. It's so funny, when I went home to my hometown, um, my, my mum started a local op shop at her church. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners, in the listeners aren't in the church world, but churches have budgets, and basically this particular church was under budget. Mm-hmm. And so my mum came up with this creative idea to start an op shop, and they've turned the whole thing around. It's just people donated stuff, and they sold it and turned the whole thing around. Anyway, so one of the, the Blue Care is a local organisation that works with the elderly and um, disadvantaged people. And they needed something to do for the day. So they called up my mum and said, oh, can we come visit the op shop? The op shop wasn't open, but can you open it for us? And she said, oh, my son's in town. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll do something. He'll do magic for you. And I'm, I can hear my mum on the phone and I'm just shaking my head. I'm now <laughs> they get a no, please, no, I don't want to do that. And, uh, but my mum. She's mom, your mum. You she's my mum, so I had to do it. So she locked it in and I convinced them that I wasn't going to do magic and I was going to do poetry instead. So I read them some poems. Yes. In the middle of country Queensland, Biloela. And, um, and it was a real special thing because it was like this. It was amazing that no matter where I go, 
I can take my poetry with me or I can take my creativity with me, yeah. whether that be on the coast, whether that be in the church world, whether that be in the community, whether that be at a homeless shelter, whether that be with the elderly, whether that be in the, uh, in Gosford or whether that be in Biloela. Um, yeah. I love that that's a thing. Yeah. So for people that do know you, they might know you from things like you stuck a nail in your nose and won a cruise on sunrise. That's true. I, I did. Which is like a trick that you pull out regularly <laughs> yes. amongst your bag of magic tricks. It's what I'm most known for. It is. It's like your signature move. Yeah. But then you do some poetry. Yeah. Then you kind of do some motivational speaking. Yeah. You're a youth pastor. So you're yep. speaking in, in a church context, you know, every week. Mm. Me and you sometimes host gigs together, together and just make bad jokes. My favourite thing to do. Host poetry nights. and. Yeah. Um, but it's like there's this common thread that really you just have a heart to connect with people yes. create, creatively on a stage. Yeah. And it's kind of like whether it's nailing and something into your head or sharing a poem about KFC yep. or making a bad joke about what I'm wearing, yep. which is probably my fault. Why did I wear that thing? Well, I can't it's, talk. I mean, I did show up to this interview wearing Crocs today. Wow. Very vulnerable of you to reveal that. Yeah. To, nobody was going to see that, but you said it on the mic. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a big man. Following in my dad's footsteps, he only wears Crocs. Are they his Crocs? Did you pinch him? <laughs> they are. They are his Crocs. <laughs> They're his old set. Um, so, so there's yeah. this heart to connect with people. Yeah, I say that. I say uh, my, my tagline on my website is Lewis Ramsey uses creativity to capture the attention of his audience so that he can speak into the issues they often face. Wow. So creativity is the vehicle mm. and the issues they face are the, the destination that we're, that's, we're, that's where we're heading. We're going in there. Yeah. yeah. So we're going deep, even though mm. there'll be a lot of laughs along the way. That's exactly right. Yes. I think you kind of have answered this somewhat, but I like to ask people like, what's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning mm. and that keeps you from sleeping at night. Oh, well, that's easy. My jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, if, you know, like you do all this speaking yeah. in different settings. Yeah. You're speaking right now. Mm. People are going to listen to this later. Mm. What's the thing that's like the burning message in you that you really want people to hear? I mean, there's probably a few of them, but... Let's take young people because you predominantly work with young people. Mm. What would you want every young person to know, you know, through that magic trick or through that poem or, or through that talk? Like what's the thing you want each young person to know? Yeah, so when I was when I was nine, I remember I remember this charity coming to my hometown and I remember I bought one of their they had some merch and I bought one of their hats. And a bunch of different people signed signed the hat from the from the charity, and one of them signed it. Um, never give up. Mm. Just so simple. Just never give up. And I remember at different times throughout my life looking at that hat and reading it and going, "Never give up." This person said, "Never give up," so I'm not going to give up right now. Whether it would be you know growing up in a small town where you know. I wouldn't say I was bullied, but I just never felt like I belonged there mm. in school because I wasn't like everyone else. I was into creativity and poetry and drama and acting, and that's not what everyone was into. So I never felt, I never felt my place there. 
What was it, oh, Siri? Sorry, that was a Siri on my watch. Siri, we're not talking to you. Sorry, Siri. Siri didn't understand, but I'm just going to turn that off now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, okay. I hope the people hey, understand. But but yeah, but pause, never pause giving for up. A moment. Yeah, yeah, love that. Never giving up is good. I just want to. So you got this growing up in a place. You're a little bit different. Yeah. What do you think got you into this stuff in the first place? Was it just in your genes somehow? I mean, was it in your family line or like was there, like where did you get the idea to start becoming kind of a performer? This is this is an amazing question. My dad is a, a man's man through and through. My dad is incredibly talented in different ways. He's, he um, uh, is amazing with a car engine. He's amazing. He built our whole kitchen at home. I remember every time our school would have a working bee, he would be um, – the first to put up his hand, I remember he pretty much painted my whole primary school when, you know, no one else was putting up their hand. But dad, certainly not a not a creative person in the, the artistic sense. Um, and my mum has an incredible fear of public speaking. Although speaking just in general, she's very good at. She can <laughs> right. keep a conversation going on for a very long time. But incredible fear of public speaking. So it is not in my family at all. The earliest memory I have of doing this stuff was I was one of those kids who, you know, you ran plays in the backyard. Mm. I remember we had an old VHS video camera that you li- that you put a tape in, mm-hmm. not, not a memory card, like literally a tape. And I remember being very young and I watched back at the videos of me being, you know, five, six, seven, and just wanting to be in front of this video camera. And I was that cringy kid who had a sister who was just born and my parents would be trying to film my (laughs) sister and I would be jumping in front of the camera going, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look, you know. Um, And so I was obsessed with the army. I would tell everyone I wanted to be in the army. I had the whole army clothes. I had the whole, you know, you know, fake all the army gear. And I would, I was obsessed with the army and I wanted to be in the army and, uh, and uh, you know, throughout primary school. But I look back on that now and I go running around in the backyard dressed up as someone in the army with all the props. I was acting that whole time, mm. you know. Wow. Yeah. It's quite profound. Mm. Yeah, so it's sort of like it just almost it just happened. You just you, you know, it was it was kind of an anomaly, but maybe it's often like that. Uh, you know, it's sort of it's like this beautiful thing that happens. I I I speak in a lot of schools, like you speak in mm. a lot of schools, and I talk a lot about how Tupac, most people just know him for thug life kind of vibes. Yeah. But he wrote some amazing poetry. Yeah, and uh, he's, he wrote a book. Actually, he di- he didn't write it as a book. It became a book, but he just wrote poetry in his journals. And he wrote this poem called "The Rose That Grew from Concrete." Wow! And it's a really simple poem. Basically, the poem is: Did you hear about the rose that grew from a crack in the concrete? Somehow, it learned to walk without having feet. Funny it seems, but by keeping its dreams, it learned to breathe fresh air. Long live the rose that grew from concrete, when no one else even cared. Whoa! Beautiful poem. Great, Tupac. Tupac, yeah. Wow. About about his own life. It, it, there's actually all the like poems in the book. Uh, there's a photo of the handwritten version, and it has his little scribbles and like little drawings and 
above that poem, it says autobiographical. So he's like, this is about me. But it's kind of like, what makes the rose grow from concrete? You, you don't really know, but sometimes stuff just grows out of unexpected places. So good. And I'm not saying that Billa Wheeler is concrete. And I'm not saying that all those other people aren't roses. Mm. They're beautiful roses. Mm. But you're a different you're a different kind of rose. You're different you kind somehow of- just grew out of there. Well, I talked to my mum about this when I was back there. I said, I'm actually so grateful I grew up in Biloela because in that town when I participated in speech and drama at Stedfords, there was no competition because no one else was entering them. So I had all this support and encouragement in that field mm. because all the drama teachers, all the educators, they, they had no one else to give that encouragement and support to. So I had this, all this encouragement, all this support. I was so like, you know, every drama teacher wanted to invest into me. because You were, you were the chosen one. You're like, mm. you know, Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. Yeah. I don't know if people know their Star Wars, but you're just a little desert planet. Yeah. This kid that's got a high midi chlorian count. <laughs> Are you into Star Wars? You're not. I know you're not. No, I'm laughing at you, not with you. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to jump back in in a second, get to the poem coming at the end. But I want to share with you for a moment about the process behind the end product. At its essence, I think creativity is about trying to do things in ways that haven't been done before. Making a song that pushes beyond the edges of a genre, or a film that disrupts what people have come to expect. Spoken word poetry and podcasting have both done that in recent years. And bringing the two of them together with authentic human interviews is my own creative experiment to try and mix art forms in a new way. Like any creative work, it takes some faith and risk as well as time, energy and resources. I have a small but growing community of people that see the value in this work and want to help empower me to create it. I want to ask you, is this something you would consider becoming a part of? You can read more about how it works at patreon.com slash willsmall, but the basic idea is to give a few dollars each month to help me create some predictable resources I can use to focus on bringing the work to life. I'll send you unpublished poems and reflections to your inbox every month, and you'll be able to contribute your thoughts and ideas to the ongoing evolution of this work. Thank you so much for considering joining the Poetic Beings Patreon community. All right, so you, you've been on this journey. You ended up here on the coast. How do you spend your time on a given week now that you're no longer gap-yearing? Mm-hmm. This is the place that you are doing your thing, yep. making a life, making friends yep. like me, yep. working, creating, bringing the Lewis vibes to the coast. The coast benefits from having you live here. How does your time look on a given week? Yep, so I am... Uh so I'm a, I'm a youth pastor currently at um, Narara Valley Baptist Church, a local church here on the Central Coast. And um, so that, that means running a Friday night youth group um, with kids from all different backgrounds, and that's absolutely amazing. And I'm also a Christian youth worker in a local high school where I spend one day a week. So I spend one day a week there. I spend three days a week working as the youth pastor. Um, and that... That looks like a lot of different things. I mean, you, you say the term youth pastor. I'm sure people listening already have a bunch of different things in their head. Mm. And uh, But I tell you what it looks like. It looks like Friday night throwing around an octopus 
A real octopus. A real octopus. That is that is we call it ultimate octopus. Like ultimate frisbee with exactly. an octopus. Exactly. The the octopus becomes the frisbee. Gross but awesome. Gross but awesome. That's one thing it looks like. It looks like cracking raw eggs on young people's heads. In any other context you'd you get in trouble for that. But in a youth uh, youth pastor can get away with anything. It looks like um, Speaking about current real-world issues, you know, a lot of youth are addicted to their cell phones. It looks like speaking into that issue. A lot of youth are insecure. It's speaking into that issue. A lot of youth um, don't know who they are. It's helping them find out who they are. So that's that's sort of what the youth pastor role looks like. I hang out with a bunch of the youth in a bunch of different contexts and also um, my leaders who volunteer and uh, that could be sitting over a coffee or it could be sitting on a jet ski. We're chatting life and we're getting into the deep stuff um, about why are we here and what's this all about. Um, and then my day in the local high school as the Christian youth worker, uh, we start with breakfast. That involves croissants. It involves waffles. It involves toast. It involves a lot of Nutella. Octopus? Any seafood? No octopus in the breakfast. That, that could end badly. And then uh, my doors open and people come in and they ask the big questions about life. And I'm not forcing any particular answer onto them or trying to shove anything down their throat. It looks like real conversations about, well, where are you at? And what what's your life experience? And I, what are you seeking? And helping them actually go on that journey of spirituality. I, I think spirituality is very important. Mm. It's beautiful. In my time off, I... Currently, I just purchased a jet ski. I'm spending a lot of time in that. I grew up water skiing, so I'm getting back to my roots and spending a lot of time on open bodies of water. And uh, I like Netflix. There's a lot of good shows, I believe. What are you, what are you binging right now? Right now, I just finished. Uh, I'm up to date with The Good Place, and I just finished all the ones that are on Netflix of The Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed those. A great show on there is called Atypical. I don't know if you've heard of that. I haven't watched that one yet. I would say that is one of the most phenomenal shows on Netflix. I'd encourage everyone to watch it. I believe that the cinema and TV shows and all forms of art, whether that be poetry or uh, literature, are very important because they do teach you how to have um, a compassion and empathy for situations you may never go through in your own personal life. Mm, it's a good way of looking at it. I love everything you just shared. I love the way you describe your week. I love that you, um, you know, we can laugh, but you clearly are 100% in with your heart, mm-hmm. with your mind, with, with your whole being in the things you're doing. And uh, sounds like there's a lot of young people that are probably benefiting from your safe and consistent presence, whether that's making them breakfast or chucking an octopus at them. Lewis, what is one of the things in your life that you are proudest of? Can be something you've done, something you are, something else, but something that you look back on or you think about and you go, you know what, I'm just I'm really stoked about that. That's a great question. Most proud of. You know, I find this uh I find this a difficult question. Uh, I don't. Do you watch State of Origin? No, never. You've never once watched it. I watched it once. <laughs> I hated every moment of it. 
Happy for you and everyone else that cares about that, though. I own that's the only NRL I watch. One time I was watching the State of Origin, and uh, I I go for Queensland. I grew up there. Uh, again, making enemies left, right, and center <laughs> on this podcast. Um, but I remember watching that, and it was so close between Queensland and New South Wales, and Jared Hayne because he was. People liked him back then. He he kicked the point, which just tipped them over, you know, with the seconds to go, and he runs out into the crowd. The horn blows, and he got, he stands up on the railing, and he's got both arms in the air, and everyone's cheering, and it's so happy. And I remember watching that game and going, I'm never going to have that experience. Wow. I remember watching that going, there is nothing in my life where, you know, I'm playing as I don't really play sport. There's no sport game I can compete in. There's not. There's nothing I can become a champion at mm. where winning that will have me. Th- and uh, and I was so upset because I reflected. I was going, what what is it in my life that I can achieve to a point to be proud of? Um, but as I reflected on that more, I was thinking about times in my life where maybe I wasn't standing on the railing of a stadium with my hands up in the air and everyone cheering my name, but what were the things in my heart where that was happening? And uh, it's all been to do with performing, actually. I remember in in high school I competed in a thing called Optimines. And in Optimines it's like they put you in a little group and you have to – they give you – they lock you in a room and they give you one hour and a box of props to come up with a play. Cool. And it has to be within a three meter by three meter square. Mm-hmm. And it has to be using the supplies they give you and around the topic that they give you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we competed this in two years in a row and the second, and we won it two years in a row. And I remember being there in high school and they were announcing the winners. And you know when they announce winners for things, they go three, third, second, first. Mm-hmm. And so we are in Brisbane because we got to go to Brisbane to compete in this thing for the state finals. And they announced third. Wasn't us. They announced second. Wasn't us. When they're going to announce first, you either won it or you were nothing. <laughs> And I remember my heart was beating so hard. Um, and when they announced our names, it was like the biggest celebration ever because we won a trip to New Zealand for that. Really? Yeah, really. We won this week-long trip, all expenses paid, all food paid for, all flights paid for, all accommodation paid for. We won this trip to New Zealand. So good. Um, and I, I remember having this heart reaction. And that was what it was like when I was in high school. Um, but now one of the things that actually that I am most proud of and I'm starting a wall of pictures is uh, in the Christian faith, a big thing for us is baptism, which is, um, you know, if you're, if you're, we, we dunk them like a tea bag <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it really is nothing overly spiritual. Um, it, it really just is a, it's just a symbol for someone, you know, making a decision to follow, to follow uh, the Christian faith for their rest of their for their rest of their life. I'm sure other religions have similar things, 
Um, but in my role as the youth pastor, I've actually had the opportunity to baptize people and, and more and more people want to get baptized. And um, the last time I had that moment where my heart had hands raised and excitement was, uh, was uh, baptizing a good friend of mine. And um, I think those moments are going to be the, the things that I'd be most proud of when it gets to the end of my life. The dunk, the tea the, bag. The tea bag dunk. People yeah. are going to have that image stuck in their mind, but it's yeah. a glorious, a glorious tea bag yeah. dunk. <laughs> it is. It's, it's great. It's awesome. Flip side, this proudest thing. Mm-hmm. What's one of the hardest things that you've ever been through? One of the most challenging, gut-wrenching, you know, like putting a nail in your nose mm-hmm. and scraping your brain a little bit, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, when you really put your trust and faith in something that terribly lets you down, that can be a really difficult thing. Mm. And I've been through that. And I'm sure for different people that looks like different things. But um, obviously I'm in the church world. I've had experience in, ch- in churches that have been amazing. And I've had experiences in churches that have been terrible. It might be the same if someone's in a football club. I'm sure you've been in football clubs that are amazing or football clubs that are terrible. Or if you've been in a workplace, maybe you've been in workplaces that are amazing or maybe you've been in workplaces that are terrible. So the church world being my workplace and where I do a lot of conduct a lot of my activities, um, I was in one of these places where I, I believed I had, you know, mentors and authority and all this sort of stuff who I put my complete trust in. I really believe I was let down. And I'm sure there was a lot of ways that I was young and immature and at fault in a lot of those things. Um, but, I mean, the church world of all places is where you want to find love and grace and acceptance. And so one of the hardest things I had to go through was in the church world, it can become your social circle and it can become your friendships and where a lot of great relationships are formed. And leaving a church can actually be really difficult mm. because not only you're leaving a place where you conduct a lot of your work activities, but you're leaving a, you're leaving friendships and you're leaving um, social circles and you're 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 leaving a, a big part of your identity. Mm, so one of the community. And, yeah, maybe people feel that. I'm sure a lot of people have moved towns or have moved workplaces, and it's the same sort of thing. Um, but for me, that was the church world. And one of the hardest things I've had to do was, was A, make the decision mm. that it's the healthy thing to leave this place, and, B, going through that process. Um, that was so difficult, so hard, um, because... It wasn't just like you were leaving one thing. It was like you were leaving everything. Yeah, wow. And, but come full circle, I really believe um, at the the outcome of that is, you know, the, the people that are really in your life for the right reasons will stay in your life. It was just a couple of weeks ago, I was best man at a friend's wedding who was from that church. And it was this reminder of, you know what, it's not... It, <laughs> It doesn't matter what church you're going to. It's actually you, the people that are meant to be in your life will be in your life. But that was that was really hard to go through. And for me to learn and to process that, um, church, a place where I wanted in this particular church, a place where I had so much of my identity wrapped up and leaving that place, um, it was really painful. It was mm. really painful. But yeah. 
what what do you think you learnt from it? You know, like what were some mm. of the big things? I think the the hardest things that we go through, mm. those really difficult decisions or those really like the the worst times, are often if we allow them to be, they're like the great teachers. Mm. So what do you think you learnt from that? I think. I think I learned a lot about myself more than anything else. I think what I learned was that well, you have to be true to yourself. Lewis in that context was not the true Lewis. Mm. True Lou. True Lou. I was not the 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 deepest values I hold, I was not expressing in that place. In fact, I would say I didn't even know what my values were. Mm. I'd completely lost myself. Um, my spiritual journey when I was in high school um, was so free and so easy. There was no ambition. I didn't care what anyone else thought. I was like the only Christian my age in my hometown. I mean, there might have been others, but it certainly felt like I was the only Christian my own age in my hometown. And I just didn't care what anyone else thought. I did whatever I wanted. I believed what I wanted. And I was so hungry and I had no ambition or, or um, you know, wrong desire in it. Um, but in my time moving to the Central Coast, it's almost like being part of a church where you were allowed to be on stage. And as you know, as we've already talked about, I was a great performer. So any chance to get on stage, it was almost like this, you get excited about it. And church church and life, it all became like this performance and it became another place where I could stand on stage and it became another place where I could be uh, Lewis the entertainer and, and Lewis the performer. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it became my whole identity to the point where I would go against my deepest values and the things I hold true. I would probably go against those things to, to um, stay in the grain of that church or to go with the flow of that church. And it's almost like de denying myself in order to, to follow what someone else tells me I should be in order to continue being able to use my creative passions for, uh, for, for good in the community. Um, but in, in leaving that place and actually finding a freedom in I can use my creative talents to benefit people in a way that isn't someone else telling me how to do it. Mm. Maybe that makes no sense. No, I'm, I'm hearing, I, I, th I think it's quite, the journey of self-knowledge, mm. right? People surely, you know, can relate to that wherever they're at, mm. or whatever they believe. The more that we begin to know ourselves, yeah. the more we can understand whether or not we're in the right environments. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a criticism of the environment or the individual, exactly. but it's exactly. kind of this, do we, do we align? Yep. Am I in the right place? Yep. And um, that must, that's a scary thing when you realize that those deep parts of yourself, your values and, and kind of your deepest desires don't align with the culture or the environment or the community that you're in. Mm. 
and you've got to kind of do a you know like a self-initiated exiling and and terrifying you, you were a big part of that process because you walked through a lot of that with me and you would know it took me a long time from the point where i was going mm. oh, this is i don't know who i am you know to the point of actually leaving it took a long time because in some places but in some pl- ways you would feel guilty if you left mm. like you were doing the wrong thing but uh it ended up being the right decision so and I certainly, in, in a new context, have learned a lot about myself and have found an immense amount of freedom. I mm. mm. oh, thank you for sharing that. I feel mm. like we, we jumped in the deep end there, mm. mainly expecting banter. Mm. But uh, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. Mm. You know, again, in all kinds of contexts. Yep. If you were to summarize in a sentence or two, like what would you say to somebody? whether it's in a workplace or a community or, you know, any kind of um, place where somebody finds themselves not being able to live out of their true values, their true center, Mm. what would you say to someone in the thick of that? Uh, I would say take the time to find yourself and you don't have to do that alone. When I was going through that, I was was blessed to be able to see a, a counselor who I see on a monthly basis. And that counsellor, you know what? It's okay to get help. Mm. You know, there's a stigma around going to see a counsellor. Guess what? I see a counsellor and I still see that counsellor. It helps me a lot because you don't have to do this alone. I had people like you, Will, who I would go to and talk things through and you were such an encouragement. I had uh, another mentor in my life who's quite a bit older who uh, mentors me in a lot of different areas and and I was able to go to him. And so my encouragement would be find yourself and find someone who can help you go on that journey, who might be, you know, a bit older and wiser. Mm. Love it. Good mm. advice. Mm. And grateful I got to be a part of the journey and am still. You Thank know, you. Love, Thank you for being part of the journey. Love walking, walking alongside you, my man. Mm. All right. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to write a poem about you, but I'm going to get you to help me to begin with. <laughs> I'm going to just give you some questions. I want you to give me the quick answer that comes from okay. your gut. If you, Lewis, were an item on a KFC menu, what would you be? Zinger Burger. And if you were a time of day, what time of day would you be? It's uh, dusk. Dusk is the sun setting. Yeah. Dusk. So there's a Zinger Burger at dusk on a jet ski. <laughs> uh, you got that right. Dusk is a perfect time to ride a jet ski. If you were a drink, what kind of drink would you be? Whiskey. What kind of whiskey? Are you, just, are you slow and low? Are you a smoky no, Ardbeg? Uh, you know me too well. Not an Ardbeg, but certainly a smoky, uh, probably a Talisker Storm. Oh, a Talisker Storm. Talisker Storm, yeah. How many years you been in that barrel for? <laughs> I think the one that I own is only 12, but let's bump that bad boy up <laughs> as many years as physically possible. Uh, if you were a, a, a piece of music or a genre of music, mm. what would you be? Oh, I go through moods, but you know, like in acoustic, acoustic is so broad though. We'll we'll work with it. Like acoustic, like like chill, 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 chill. Whether it be chill pop or chill acoustic, chill acoustic, mm-hmm. definitely not hip hop. No, <laughs> maybe when you were a kid, that's what you would have answered. Hundred percent, yeah, hilltop woods. <laughs> All right, let's just do uh, one or two more of these. If you were 
a line from a Shakespeare. Mm, oh, a, you you know your Shakespeare well. I uh-huh. wouldn't ask many people this question because it's you know put you on the spot. But you know, is there a line or a sonnet or a play that's kind of like yeah, that's that's my jam in Shakespeare form. Uh the the soliloquy I'm thinking of is Saint Crispin's Day. Can you give me any more context around that? What's what's the heart of or a couple? Well, of I don't lines want to or? get it wrong, but it's one of the Henrys. Okay, and uh, and uh, uh, who he who outlives this day and comes safe home will rouse him at the name of Saint Crispin, and it's about these guys who are going off to battle, and at the start of the battle, it's like okay, well, if you're here and you make it home. Every year that we celebrate this day, this battle, you'll be sitting at home going, I was there. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. I remember studying that at uni, actually. Did I get it right? Yeah. Yeah, good. I don't know it well enough to say if you got it wrong, <laughs> but that sounded right. Yeah, good. Okay. One last question. Uh-huh. If you mm. were mm. an item of clothing. Mm. I know you think about the clothes you wear, Crocs. That's a sign of thinking maybe a bit less about the clothes you wear. <laughs> but these days, what kind of item of clothing would just encapsulate the essence of the true blue? I'm tossed up between two. First is a white linen shirt. Oh, white linen shirt. Unironed. Because <laughs> I don't own an iron. Uh the second item of clothing would be a life jacket. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I got this mental image right now. You're wearing your unironed white linen shirt. You got your life jacket over the top. You got some chill music playing through the uh, Bluetooth speaker on your oh, jet ski. Yes. And you're at the top of your lungs. You're saying the St. <laughs> Crispin's Day soliloquy. With a Zinger burger in one hand. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Perfect. Well, Lewis, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your honesty, your answers. Thank you for coming from Billa Wheeler here to the Central Coast. <laughs> thank you for having me and thank you for your friendship over all these years. My pleasure. Home to come. He nails it. His nose. It's his signature move alongside eating Kentucky Fried down to the bone an entertainer, so this makes sense, I suppose. But if you sit with him, this sometimes magician, you might come to see these things as the true illusion, the sleight of hand, the misdirection. Because if you only see an entertainer, your view of Lou needs correction. Beneath the chicken-loving charisma lies a hidden enigma, like well-aged whiskey paired with a zinger. A boy grows up in a place where he doesn't quite fit, feels pulled towards things that no one else is and rather than moving with the predictable flow he forges a path into the scary unknown 17 when he moves into state on his own this could either end one of two ways a lonely road where the spirit caves or the emerging realization that being who you are is pretty great not in an arrogant way it's not about ego and you can hear that when he talks about other people You see, the trick behind the trick is to help young people think that the struggles they face they can learn how to flip to be the turn and the twist in their own book of tricks. But make no mistake, magic like this doesn't happen in an instant. 
It's a slow, steady process of patience and wisdom. It's the moment where you realize it's time to make a change. When what once was an anchor has become ball and chain. Where what once was a safe space has become a place laced with pain. You need to put on your own life jacket before trying to help others. But then find your happy few, your band of brothers, the ones you survived St. Crispin's Day with, to enjoy dusk light with acoustic chill on your playlist. He nails it, not just the nail in his nose. I guess you could say the concrete gave way once again to a rose.